You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Locked Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. We are celebrating our one-year anniversary over at The Athletic Wisconsin. So if you do not already subscribe, subscribe today. I'd very much appreciate it. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, at Eric underscore name, you can find out all of the promo codes that can get you uh, 40% off on a subscription to The Athletic. Joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, uh, we've had a rough go of it. Uh, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. Uh, and, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to persevere right now. You've had a rough go of it. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to get through this and put out some podcasts. So um, I'm just happy to have you back and happy to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a trying uh, 36 hours for, uh, for myself. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of was thinking back. I had uh, what I can only assume was food poisoning late Monday night through most of yesterday. And uh, as someone who pretty much never gets sick, it was uh, very sobering to uh, you know be at the mercy of whatever I ingested. Um, it was not fun. Um, so so not fun <laughs> that I was not even able to podcast with you last night. I went to bed at like I don't know, like eight thirty, and um, eventually got up and actually felt a lot better. Went to work today, so that's good. But um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you think back to like you hear pl- about players playing through like stomach flus or, you know, gastroenteritis or whatever, like stomach type things or, um, you know, mm-hmm. like the Jordan uh, flu game, which I think now is I think it's been it was actually just he like ate a bunch of pizza the night before against the Jazz in the finals and got really sick from that. Um, I, I yeah, I can't imagine playing a sport. Uh, let alone, you know, uh, I, I didn't want to like get out, leave my hotel room last night, let alone think about like trying to play a sport, let alone playing a sport at a professional level. So um, shout out to all the athletes who uh, play through bad illnesses all the time. And we just sort of take it for granted. Um, by the way, random other thing. I, I'm always amazed like NBA play, like sometimes guys like break fingers and then like don't play. I like will miss a, a period. And then other times guys will like fracture a finger and they'll just like keep playing through it. Like I remember like Kobe Bryant like played through like a fractured mm-hmm. finger and stuff. And I'm just like, what? Like I, I can't even imagine playing basketball with like a screwed up like finger on, on either of my hands, let alone no. like if I'm playing against world-class athletes who know that I have a fractured finger and are going to be slapping at it. And, you know, my whole job is to like shoot and, you know, catch really – passes that are thrown with great velocity and all this stuff. I, I don't know. I'm it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, but they also have stronger fingers than me. So that's probably all another part of the story. But anyway, um, yeah. So I'm glad to be, um, I was day to day. Now I am uh, probable. <laughs> it was game time decision. Now I'm, uh, I'm in the game here for this podcast. So happy to do that. And uh, 
was very um, was uh, very pleased with um, reading. Just you, you gave me the sneak peek before we podcasted here of uh, the story you're posting tonight slash tomorrow morning at the Athletic, so that we could talk about it. Um, a Q and A you did with John Horst, which um, you know, as I was going through it, I kind of thought like, okay, like what are the questions I would want you to ask John Horst? And I think you pretty much hit all of them. Um, and again, not that obviously you can force anyone to provide the absolute brutal level of detail or <laughs> transparency that necessarily uh, you would dream of getting. But, um, you know, again, I, th- I thought it was, uh, you know, a, a good window into uh, certainly some of the Bucks' decisions over the past few weeks heading into free agency. And, you know, again, I, not that I think any of this stuff is like a huge mystery to us, like why they made certain moves or things like that. But um, I think it did. Uh, I think it does just help shed further light on kind of, um, you know, what the Bucks were thinking and kind of what they're expecting moving forward. And maybe in some cases, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, kind of the answers you would expect. But um, again, I think obviously happy to, to at least have the questions posed to, to John Horst and obviously to get some answers. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I'm always thankful when, you know, people actually give you the time, no matter whether that's a player, a coach, or a general manager. Like, when people give you time and are willing to, you know, actually take some questions and, you know, understand that uh, they're going to, I mean, I and the, I, I and, or one of the final questions I ask them is, you know, like, I think this team is worse than last year. Would you agree or disagree with that assessment? Like that, like that was a question that he signed up for and he was totally fine with, or, you know what I mean? Like that isn't, that isn't always something people are willing to do, especially people in power. So um, yeah, I would, I would agree. A shout out to John horse for even, you know, being willing to, to do that because that's not, you know, I mean, it should be something that people have to do all the time. Uh, you know, people in power should have to answer these type of questions. But I think, as we all know, that that's not always the case, uh, whether in sports or, uh, you know, in regular life. Um, so, yeah, it was I thought it was an interesting conversation. Um, I, I guess I'll let I mean, I had the conversation, so I'll let you kind of poke through it and, uh, you know, pull out what you think is interesting or not interesting or um, I, I guess I'll just hand it to you and then I'm more than happy to chime in kind of as we go through it. Yeah, there are probably a few topics that are of, of most interest to people. I mean, I think, you know, we talked a lot about um, I, probably the Brogdon sign and trade has probably been the most talked about um, thing on uh, on uh, on Bucks Twitter, Bucks whatever, uh, Bucks Nation um, across all forms of Bucks social media. Um you spent a, a fair bit of time um, talking about that, including um, I think you had three questions specifically about the uh, the like luxury tax and trade exceptions and kind of getting more into um, you know kind of the Frank Madden cap nerd uh, type discussion. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, what was your general like? What was your? I mean, obviously people will be able to read this at the Athletic today, but um, you know, again, it it seems like the TLDR is you know they sort of had a number on Malcolm and, you know, again, like obviously you know, he's going to be very coded in how he talks about this. Cause it's not like they're going to say, well, he's not, he's not worth 85 million bucks. Like, I mean, obviously there's going to be, um, they have to sort of, uh, any GM is going to have to talk about this in a very, uh, you know, specific way. Um, 
but what was kind of I don't know what was kind of your sense because I think especially in regards to what you know what the Bucks thought about making this move and specifically how it relates to not going into the luxury tax which you also asked about um, I don't know what was your sense there because I mean I think again like a lot of Bucks fans have come away from this saying well the Bucks were too cheap to pay the luxury tax the Bucks didn't want to pay you know, pay up to keep the roster that almost got them to the finals last year. And so, um, you know, I guess tying into another question that you'll get to, uh, you know, they, they, on paper, they seem worse than last year. Um, I don't know. What was your sense of that? Like, I mean, I mean, again, not that you'd need to just read off the answers for us, but um, in a general sense, I mean, you're actually sitting there, you know, you're actually, you were the only person who was there to actually hear this answer in person. Um, what was your sense? And obviously you talked to Malcolm as well. So you kind of know the two, probably the two most relevant parties in this discussion, but what was just your sense as far as what kind of led to uh, obviously a move that, you know, I think was the biggest question mark going into free agency. We didn't know if the bucks were going to match everything. We didn't know if the bucks were definitely looking to, you know, find an excuse not to resign him. Obviously a sign in trade where they got something back was probably like the thing I expect the least, but that's what happened. Um, so what did you kind of, I don't know, what was kind of your takeaway from this? Did you feel like anything was like surprising or kind of how, how would you kind of, I, I guess, you know, sort of um, summarize it if, if someone, you know, had been a Bucks fan had been on the moon for the past month and, and just came back to find out Malcolm Brogdon was gone. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a bunch of things that play into it. I, I think uh, pairing this with the the conversation I had with Malcolm on the, on the athletic last week, like I, Playing playing point guard was a bigger deal to Malcolm than I ever had any idea. Like I I just did not know that that mattered so much to him. Like that to and I, like I don't I want to say it's shocking, um, because you know I I don't feel like I should ever be shocked, but I, you know it kind of was. Like I just never really got the sense that that is something that really mattered to Malcolm Brogdon and. I think in in the last couple of weeks we've really found out that that it did like that was that was really important to him and uh, you know I think that's why his people wanted to to go to Indiana and obviously as John and I talked through it he talked about Danielle Cantor his main agent and then David Falk the agent the larger agent for that agency um, and them you know kind of trying to make it all work and figure it all out like I, I think to me that's that colors this conversation in a way that I don't think I was ready to, to have it colored going into the, going into the off season. Like I, I just thought it would be, you know, a pretty simple match, not match. And, you know, this is going to be someone's second or third best player. He's going to play primarily off ball. And that wasn't the case. Like he, he came through here and, and you know, or he came through summer league and pretty much let us know that he wanted to play point guard. So that was surprising. I think that plays a big role. I think that plays in concert with the the Bucks wanting to avoid the luxury tax. And again, uh, you know, as as John Horse talked about in his media availability before the draft, and as John Horse talked to me that night, like this was a situation where you know, it, they looked at their internal evaluations of Malcolm and how comfortable they felt paying him and decided that it wasn't, that that wasn't the amount of money that they wanted to pay to Malcolm specifically. And, you know, a message that always kind of gets hammered home is that, you know, for other people, they will go into luxury tax. And I, like, that's fun to say, and it's impossible to disprove, 
because maybe they will. And I mean, I think almost certainly they will have to is if you get Giannis to sign the Supermax next year, like you, you're going to have to go into the luxury tax. Um, so I can't disprove that they will someday go into luxury tax, but they had the chance to go into the luxury tax to pay Malcolm this year and they just didn't do it. And then I think the final thing that goes into this is the fact that the Pacers were actually willing to give something up of value in a sign and trade. I think, I don't think if that's just a, if that's just a first round pick, I don't know if that gets done. I think the fact that the Pacers kind of threw some more in there. Uh, so you have a first and you have two seconds. I think like, obviously I'm not a hundred percent sure that the bucks were going to match four for 85 uh, and no one can be. Um, but also if they don't work out a sign and trade, maybe that number is four for 90. Maybe that number is four for 95, four for 100. I, I don't know. It, like if you, if you really want to be comfortable that a team's not going to match, you're going to have to, you know, maybe go up and, uh, above and beyond that. So um, I, I think those are the three things. Just the fact that Brogdon really wanted to play point guard. Uh, the Bucks, I think, in at least in some ways, didn't want to pay the luxury tax this year. And then three, that they could actually get value. I think those are the three things, to me, that color kind of what happened with Malcolm Brogdon this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think the <clears> – I, I do, you do get the sense, I mean, from – from John Horst's answer that um, there is this kind of short-term, long-term trade-off. And again, I mean, this is kind of the ultimate your mileage may vary thing. Like obviously in the future, I mean, there will be some point at which, you know, you know, we, we kind of, I think treat the, because the bucks have not gone into the tax, we sort of think of the tax as this binary thing, like either you're paying the tax or you're not paying the tax. Um, but obviously, I mean, the idea is that it is, it is a punitive thing, right? If you, don't if you pay it multiple years in a row, then it can start to be even more punitive. So, you know, obviously financially there are reasons to to not do it year after year after year. And if you think you can get away with it um, in one year, or you think you can do something that will make it easier to you know stay under it longer term, or at least to manage it longer term, then obviously you know, I mean, again, like I, I'd love to say that there's no limit on the spending of Bucks ownership. I don't think even they would claim that that is the case. Um, so I think there was, I think implicitly kind of a trade-off here of, yeah, I mean, a few years from now, you know, when Giannis' Supermax would kick in, you know, two years from now, if you've got Middleton, Brogdon, and Giannis making, I don't know, close to like over $100 million, it'd be probably over $100 million at that point per year, just those three dudes, that's a lot of money. Um, and you know, again, even just even ignoring the luxury tax, I mean, you have then pretty limited flexibility to, to build a roster around, around that group. So yeah, I mean, there's, there are non, non just like financial reasons, um, you know, not there, there are reasons beyond just, well, we just don't want to, we just not willing to pay it, um, for doing it, but there's a trade-off, right? I mean, this is what we talked about, you know, this is the whole fuck it, let's win a championship idea. Like the window is now for, for this version of the bucks. And um, I think a move like this, you could argue could potentially um, make it easier to transition from this version of the bucks into whatever comes after it, but we don't know. And, you know, as we always say, the ultimate kind of gauge is going to be whether they win a championship or not. And um, we'll see. Um, why don't, why don't we jump to another question that you asked sort of towards the end, which is I think very relevant to this, which is, I mean, you flat out asked him like, 
I mean, are the Bucks worse than they were last year? You know, I mean, just roster wise, like, you know, you kept a bunch of guys and then you, you lost obviously a, a really key guy in Malcolm. Um, I don't know. What was your, what was your sense of, of his answer to that? I mean, it was kind of interesting. I mean, I think he, he pretty much allowed for the possibility that at least, you know, nominally they, they might actually be slightly worse than they, than they were last year, which I thought was interesting. Cause it, I don't know. I feel like normally you just, if somebody asks that, like you just expect somebody to just not even really answer, not answer the question directly. Um, but what was your take on that? And um, I don't know, were you at all surprised by kind of the level of candor with that? Yeah. I mean, just the fact that he answered it, in the first sentences, you know, I think it's close, maybe slightly worse. Like that is, you know, his answer to me saying, I think this roster is, isn't as good as last year's. And uh, to me that that's surprising. And I guess I think in some, in some ways it's, it's almost somewhat refreshing and um, I don't even, I don't know the right word for it. It's, it's, it's nice to, not have someone, I don't want to say lie to your face, but, you know, I think it's it's really difficult to look at this roster and take Malcolm Brogdon out of it. And even with putting Wesley Matthews in there um, and even with putting Robin Lopez in there, like if you do that, I think it's still really hard to say that this team is better than last year's team. So honestly, I, I was super surprised that he he was even willing to say that, but you know, eventually he did kind of go through like, you know, we could be better. Like if, if we have internal, internal development and growth, we could be better than, than we were last year. And, you know, if guys get more used to Bud's system, it'll be year two with him. That could add up and and really help out a lot as well. And, you know, if, if Robin Lopez is able to be really solid defensively, if Wesley Matthews is able to shoot really well and, you know, his three-point shooting is able to make up for some of the uh, lesser volume from Malcolm's three-point shooting. Like, okay, maybe, maybe all of those things could work. So I think in some ways I was just kind of surprised that he allowed for the possibility that this roster is a little bit worse um, before explaining why, you know, it, it might not be, but honestly, my reaction was just kind of surprised because as you mentioned, like, uh, you know, the general manager's job is to make the team better. And here I am telling him that I think the roster is worse and he, you know, kind of allowed for it. It's also kind of funny. I mean, I think you alluded to like regular season versus postseason and kind of how they think about, you know, what it means to get better. And it's just so funny because it's like, you know, as a Bucks fan, I'm so used to looking at every season and, and every summer through the lens of, are we going to win more games this season, right? Like, does the, does the team win more games in the regular season? Because that's generally all that we really had to, as a measuring stick. Um, I mean, again, not to say that there weren't ambitions of actually winning around in the playoffs, but it just never freaking happened. <laughs> um, so it's kind of funny now because it's like, well, I mean, regular season wise, like, what more do you want from what more do you want from this team? Right. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like, like what, what about last season really like left you wanting more? And I mean, again, you can obviously like go down to like player by player and say, well, I wish Giannis would shoot better and you know, this and that, of course. Right. Um, but ultimately like the only failure of last season was, well, you couldn't find a way to win, you know, two out of the last five games against the Raptors. I mean, that's really all it came down to. And there were obviously a lot of, 
I don't want to say extenuating circumstances because that makes it seem like they were like out of the box control, but you know, there are just so many things in that sequence, whether it's, you know, Eric Bledsoe and Nikola Meritich and to some extent Giannis and Chris Middleton just not being able to shoot the way we have expected them to, you know, or, or score with the efficiency we expected them to, or, you know, just generally the whole team going cold from three or, you know, questionable rotations from Bud or whatever it might be, right? Um, or, or not really kind of tactically keeping up with what Nick Nurse was doing. You know, really it kind of, it's like, again, it's just a small sample thing, right? Like you can say, well, you know, I mean, if they were, if they were even like 1% worse than they were last year in the regular season, I mean, fine. I mean, that's totally, totally fine probably, right? But again, like, can you play at the level you need to in the playoffs? That's all it's really going to matter. And um, so I, it's an interesting question that, you know, again, like the, the bar has, I don't want to say it's raised because it, it has been raised, but it's also like just kind of just measuring something different, right? Because it's measuring that, it's that 16 game measurement rather than that 82 game measurement. I mean, obviously now you have to do both, but um, but it is interesting. And um, I, I think it's kind of interesting because like I've been thinking about it a bit, you know, um, are the Bucks worse? And I think just in terms of, you know, are they worse than if they had kept everybody? Well, yes, right? Um, I think we knew they couldn't keep everybody, including Miritich, um, just because of the cap stuff with Brooke and, and George Hill and, and everything. Um, but, you know, I think the the question was, could they keep, you know, pretty much everybody that they did plus Malcolm, right? That was really the question. And obviously they, they fell short of that. Now they did get something from Malcolm with that first rounder and those two second round picks. And we'll see kind of what that translates to if that enables a trade or something else later. Um, but it's kind of interesting because, I mean, in the grand scheme, I think I think Horst referred to it as a monster offseason. And I mean, I, I think we have to be very honest about that because, you know, the, the hugeness of the Bucks offseason, I think, went a little under the radar just because so many other teams had more kind of like existential threats to their, I mean, like like Kawhi leaving the Raptors. Like we knew that was very possible. We knew Kyrie had a good was a good chance to leave Boston. We knew that um, you know the Philly guys like we didn't know what who Philly was going to end up with um, this summer. So it was just sort of like people kind of took for granted that the Bucks would be more or less the same. But you know it still had to happen, right? And there still had to be things done to to enable that. And he talked a little bit about you know prioritizing Brook Lopez and trying to make that happen. Um, and so it's kind of those things. Like I mean, at the end of the summer, I mean, if you had told me you know this is what the Bucks end up with, like you know. Would I would I ask to you know knowing that I have no control over it and that I didn't really know what the Bucks are thinking going into the summer, would I have accepted that? Yeah, I probably would have said I'll take that. Right? I mean, I thought the Bucks were going to keep Chris. I thought the Bucks were going to keep Brooke. Wasn't sure about Malcolm. Wasn't sure about George Hill. Um, you know, obviously we didn't know who the Bucks might get with some of the other signings, and you know we've raised sort of the question of was you know Robin Lopez the right type of player to target with um, the, the room exception? But you know, I think fundamentally at the end of the day. The Bucks kept, I'd say, the most, you know, the, the two most important kind of critical guys to their identity in Brooke and Chris, and they at least got something for the one guy they lost. And again, you know, I think in terms of Rolo and, and Wes Matthews, I think you know those are two guys that, yeah, I'll take those guys on my team. You know, um, I thought it was interesting. He kind of alluded to, sounded like he was alluding to Wes Matthews being the starting shooting guard most likely, um, which is probably something that'll be interesting to watch. But, um, but I mean, again, like. You know, again, I think both those guys can play. 
Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's obviously the main thing we're going to debate, um, for the next, you know, few months while we wait for the season to start and the Vegas odds came out. I think the bucks were at like 55, 55 and a half over under. So gives you a sense of kind of where that is. I think, I think that's still the highest in the league as far as the Vegas odds go, but, um, yeah, definitely an interesting kind of debate. And I think probably the one that we've been having, you know, just in terms of, you know, kind of bucks fans everywhere is, is, you know, did this team take a step back and what is that going to mean for the, for kind of the, the next season? Um, let me, let I me think ask to that, to that point, I'll just yeah. hop in. Um, I will say like, I, I don't think that this was a disastrous off season for the Bucks. No, 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 no. And, and like, obviously John kind of talked about that in our conversation. And I think in the end he, he graded his off season as like an eight or nine out of 10. Um, not, and not a 10 out of 10. And, you know, like, I just think that obviously it, it, it's easy to, you know, kind of look through it and say, you know, are they better or worse? And, you know, I think they are a little bit worse, but, uh, it, it was going to be a difficult off season and I think they navigated it pretty well. Um, like I think disastrous or, you know, moving, that grade down from an eight, even lower would have been like, okay, you Malcolm Brogdon got signed to an offer sheet and you didn't match it. Like, and that was just what happened. Like that would have been to me, you know, like an even worse thing. And again, I, I, I think signing Malcolm Brogdon and paying the luxury tax was the thing to do. And, you know, I've been, I've kind of been talking about that this entire off season, but you know, if you're not going to do it, like you did at least get something. So I, I think that, that's a good point that you that you bring up. That is the team worse? Yeah, I think it probably is a little bit worse. But uh, are do they still deserve to be the Eastern Conference favorites? Yeah, I think so. Let's talk a little bit about um, the new guys. Um, from discussions about uh, Robin Lopez, uh, Wes Matthews, and Nasus Adetokounmpo um, that you thought were interesting, and, and I'll, I'll offer the thing about Robin Lopez. Start with him. Um, he's going to have the green light to shoot threes, uh, which of course we've kind of talked about a little bit, like that he's a guy who might have that in him. And obviously the bloodlines would suggest that, that that's not unrealistic, but it hasn't really happened in any type of meaningful way in the NBA yet. Um, so I thought that was probably the, the interesting thing about Robin, but um, I don't know. What did else did you take away from his uh, comments about Robin Lopez and why they made that move? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the green light is interesting. And also I would give you guys the green light to use Postmates. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round for a limited time. Postmates is giving locked on listeners $100 in free delivery credit for your first seven days. So that means you should go download the Postmates Postmates app, excuse me, and use the code locked on. That's L O C K E D O N. Download the Postmates app and use the code locked on. I thought that was interesting. And then I honestly, I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, I mentioned that just kind of the idea that, like, obviously you already had a strong rotation of bigs, which I think you can kind of. I think most people would agree with like one, you have 33 minutes of Giannis playing the four. So that helps out. Um, but you know, you add in another 30 minutes of Brooke Lopez, you add in Arsene Lee you add in DJ Wilson. Um, you know, I think you have a pretty strong rotation of bigs and, you know, I asked like, you know, what if you already had those bigs, what did you see in, in Robin? And, you know, just the fact that he said a true five. And to me, that isn't necessarily something I thought, 
the Bucks would be after, something that they would be thinking about. Um, and obviously, I was wrong. Like that was something that that they clearly prioritized. And I mean, I think maybe when you look at the Eastern Conference, uh, I think the second best team after the summer is the Philadelphia 76ers. If, and, you know, being able to throw Lopez's low pie um, at, at Embiid for 48 minutes feels, feels pretty good. Right. Like that's to me, if the Sixers are going to be really great, it's going to be because Embiid is really great. And if you can throw two huge bodies at him for 48 minutes, that feels like a pretty good deterrent. So, um, I mean, that it feels kind of matchup specific and, you know, who knows if you even get the Sixers in, in the end. But um, to me, obviously, I, I think in some ways I thought a green light for Robin shooting threes was somewhat obvious just because that's what the Bucks do. Like they have everyone shoot threes. Um, but the, the idea that they felt they needed a true five, uh, that kind of surprised me. Yeah, I think the I'm very curious to see what they kind of do with you know, you've have Urson coming back, who's obviously been a bud favorite for a long time. DJ Wilson obviously kind of had a breakthrough and then kind of faded to to the bench uh, later in the season last year. Um, I'm very curious to see just kind of like how they manage those guys and and whether you know DJ Wilson gets buried because it does seem like Robin's going to play most nights. And you know, again, it's like I, I think um, even if he doesn't become like a prolific three point shooter, I mean. We've seen for a long time, I mean, the Spurs have always like done this by playing big and playing pretty conservative that, you know, especially in the regular season, you can win games that way. Um, and defensively, that that tends to work, right? Like, I think going small and mobile is something that I think has certain definite applications, especially in certain matchups. But, um, you know, I think as far as like, does it help you in the regular season? I think it very well, you know, could be a positive still, even if you are playing bigger than, you know, maybe I in my heart of hearts, I might like to see them. Right. Um, I mean, probably my ideal scenario is eventually you get off first son and, you know, you find a way to promote DJ to that backup four spot. But um, I wouldn't also be surprised if Giannis gets time at the three again this year. I mean, we saw that um, we saw that a year ago and uh, you know, again, I mean, obviously I don't think, you know, Wes Matthews is going to step into the 30 minutes a game that, that Brogdon is leaving a hole for. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that gets filled, especially, you know, Tony Snell also gone, obviously. Um, Wes Matthews, any, um, I mean, to me, I, I think, I mean, we use the phrase, let it fly. I think when he got signed, cause that's, that's what he does. And that's what, uh, John horse mentioned in, in the interview. Uh, I don't know. Any other, any other thoughts on, on Wes Matthews? I mean, I, I think I mentioned it. It sounded like he alluded to him as a potential starting shooting guard. That wouldn't shock me, but it was kind of interesting that he would, I don't know. I don't know if he actually did. His hand, like he kind of maybe tipped his hand a little bit there. Um, what was your take on kind of the West Matthews discussion? I mean, first he doesn't coach the team. So yeah. uh, like, yeah, obviously you can kind of go out and try to find someone that you think is going to fill a certain role, but it'll be up to Bud to, to use that person in that way. Um, you know, I think there's just from this conversation, I think there's some optimism that uh, obviously there Matthews is not going to drive the ball like Brogdon. Like that's just that's just not going to happen. But I do think there is some optimism within the organization, both from this conversation, just kind of talking to people in Vegas, that uh, Matthew's ability to, to shoot the ball from deep and the quickish trigger that he has uh, 
could really end up helping. And I mean, I, I just think by the end of the season, like I, I didn't realize just how low the number of threes Brogdon had taken was until, you know, like we started to kind of have these conversations and I think it was like 3.8 per game or something like that. So he does. And again, this isn't to take anything away from him shooting 40% from three. That's an incredible achievement, but the volume just wasn't there. And like, you know, when you think of Wes Matthews, it's like, okay, is he going to take two times that many? Like maybe he won't play enough minutes to take two times that many, but would his three point attempts per 36 minutes double up Malcolm Brogdon's next year? It's, certainly seems somewhat like to me, it seems kind of likely. So I think there's some optimism within the organization that uh, that can in many ways help give a lot of the space. And again, I don't think anyone expects to, you know, have this be a like for like uh, kind of change between, you know, the style of play of Malcolm Brogdon and Wes Matthews. But I do think there is maybe something to be excited about with, with Matthews or at least the organization feels that, you know, it's exciting that he is going to get that volume up and he is going to be a really willing quick trigger guy from three. Yeah. Wes per hundred possessions the last few years, he's generally been between nine and 11 threes per, per hundred possessions. Um, Malcolm last year was around six. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, there is a substantive difference in the volume of threes that those guys take um, Malcolm, a terrific, you know, spot up open three shooter. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody on the team last year I would have trusted to hit an open three, especially in a clutch situation. He hit a bunch of those um, than Malcolm. Uh, but yeah, that's obviously a different type of gravity than somebody who can, you know, is is willing and able to shoot from, you know, 30 feet out, right? Uh, and I think, you know, Matthews is one of those blue square guys, whereas Malcolm, I think, is, is a little bit different. He's a lot more selective. And he, you know, I, I forget who it was. Somebody tweeted out, was looking at like shot profiles um, and said, you know, Brogdon basically had like the sort of three point profile of like a stretch five, um, just because he doesn't take that many. And they tend to be all like very, very wide open. Um, but again, like you don't want to like distract from the fact that like, well, if you hit 43% of any volume, you've, you know, four plus per game, that that's good. That's really good. Um, and you'll happily take that. And it's not easily, uh, easily replaced. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I think the three point shooting from Matthews, again, if kind of history, you know, maintains, um, itself, then I think that'll be an upgrade from sh- the shooting perspective. I think the real downside as you alluded to is going to be in the dribble drive game and just the way that Malcolm was able to attack closeouts. And then again, that's also partly why I don't think he shot as many threes because he attacked closeouts and he was really good at that. And so that's obviously part of the story, I think of, of what his decision-making was, why he didn't shoot as many threes. But uh, again, you hope that Matthews obviously can uh, at least blunt some of that loss by, uh, by being a, a really valuable deep threat for them. Um, Thanasis at Akumbo, I mean, you straight up asked him, like, everyone's obviously wondering if he is here just because of the last name, you know, discuss. And um, I don't know. I mean, it was it was interesting. I mean, you know, again, I, it's kind of I, I don't like the Thanasis discussions because, like, I feel like um, I feel like this. And I mean, I think it's well-placed cynicism. Um, I mean, you I mean, if anybody heard us talk about the signing whatever it was a week ago or whatever. Um, I mean, you guys know that I'm, I'm, I don't know what the right word is concerned um, about this move. I think it's a can, you know, a can of worms, as I've said a bunch of times. Um, and again, I think there's a good outcome here because the is, you know, a hard worker, a great athlete. And obviously, you know, he seems like a good dude and he's 
the brother of the best player uh, on your team slash the planet. So there's obviously an upside scenario here. Um, but I worry a little bit that like we're going to be so like coded in the cynicism of like how this happened that like we won't be able to like appreciate and enjoy anything he does because it'll just be like, oh, well, he's only here because of Giannis and, you know, whatever. Um, and like I thought I heard, I thought I saw somebody tweet that like he had to like, that Thanasis had to like, close the comments on his instagram or something and i don't know if this is true but but you know just something like that it's just like man that sucks like if you you know have this opportunity to play in the nba and you know like everybody's just basically immediately giving you shit and like not even giving you a chance and again like i i understand why that is i mean we've talked about that um but i hope you know i'm i'm rooting for him right like ultimately i mean i want him to succeed um and he seems like kind of person you want to succeed um, but I don't, I don't know if anything we heard in exactly, you know, in horse comments here are, you know, any like surprising per se, I mean, you know, praise is kind of the things you'd expect. Um, I think they talked about, you know, three point, uh, they obviously talked about Robin Lopez and coaching him up and giving him some skill development. I think some similar stuff here with, uh, with the Nasus. Um, but you know, again, I think it was pretty, probably pretty vanilla. Um, and, uh, you know, but he also acknowledged that, you know, people are going to say what they're going to say, obviously about, um, you know, his last name and why he's here. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, the thing with the that sticks out is, um, everyone you talk to will tell you about his unbelievable motor and how competitive he is, his attitude, uh, just, you know, the fact that he's like a great young guy. And like, I, I think the, the thing that I keep coming back to is, uh, and I've just started thinking about this in the last couple of days is Thon. Um, and I come back to Thon because Thon went through some, you know, real struggles in his first couple of years in, in this, in the league. And, um, like he was still totally endearing to his teammates and like, was, was he a great player? No. Is he going to be a great player? Ultimately seems unlikely. Is he going to be an NBA rotation player? <sighs> yeah, probably. Um, and like when he ultimately decided to, you know, ask for a trade, like there wasn't really hard feelings. And with the NASA's like, I, I don't, I don't think you want to have a guy on the team that you don't ultimately feel like raises the potential of your team or, you know, can step in the playoffs. But I will say that, you know, like that goes a long way that, you know, people aren't going to, like, you're not going to ruin a locker room if you work really hard and give great effort. Like you're going to ruin a locker room if you're a guy that, you know, people don't think deserves to be there. You're just there because you're brother and then you're loafing. Like you're goofing off. Like if all of that happens, then I, I think this can become really ugly. But, you know, like if all this stuff that people say about the Nasus is true, like I, I think ultimately it can be totally fine. And, uh, you know, will it make a huge contribution? Probably not. But will it be like this really ugly kind of situation? Like, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I, Again, I mean, if he's the last guy on the roster, then he's probably not going to be active many nights. And when he does play, it's most likely going to be garbage time, and he's going to be probably a pretty fun, uh, you know, victory cigar. I, 
I'm just thinking back when I was growing up, uh, you know, it was in my late teens, Darvin Ham was one of the guys I always thought of as the victory cigar, you know, he'd come in late in games and he actually, I mean, he played more of a role at, at various points, but especially I think early, you know, it was like Darvin getting some late run to get a dunk or something like that was a fun thing. Um, and so, you know, I mean, ironically now Darvin Ham back uh, as a coach, so it'd be kind of ironic if, uh, if the NASA's maybe a little bit of, a, of that type of uh, role in this team. So, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I think um, but you know, injuries, right? And that's that's the question. I mean, we saw we saw last year I mean, it was at Utah game, right? Where um, what was it? Butsoe and Brogdon were out, and I don't know, basically, you know, the Bucks started all their big guys basically at once, and um, you know, Christian Wood randomly got first half minutes. So um, we'll we'll kind of see. But but again, I mean, you know, I think fundamentally, I mean, I'm rooting for the guy. I mean, he's a Buck and he's a he's an Adetokounmpo. So um, you obviously hope for nothing but the best for him and. Um, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, despite the numbers suggesting that he's not going to be able to shoot and probably not going to be able to contribute much that, uh, and who knows, maybe he figures some things out. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, you know, do they send him down to the herd a bunch? Like, like, would they send him to the herd while like the bucks go on a long road trip? Or is it going to be like, no, he's got to be Giannis's like road buddy, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm very curious. I, would, I respect it a lot. They do actually send him down to the herd a fair bit just to like, show that like yes they are actually aware that he's you know not a great player and could use you know time to play basketball though let's be honest as well like i don't know is he, is he like developing a lot with the herd at this point i'm not sure right it's not like he's you know a 22 year old kid or something like that so um anyway um shout out to the thanasis the deal is official uh so and and look guys be nice to the thanasis you know come on. um i think the only other thing that was in there that I'm just thinking off the top of my head was interesting was we obviously talked a lot about the trade exception. You asked sort of repeated questions in relation to that. And it seemed like the end result was, yeah, we're aware of it, but we just couldn't, we basically couldn't kind of line up the ducks to, uh, to make it happen. You know, George Hill slash Brooke Lopez would have had to give back in order to give them enough room to keep it. They, were not able to, or were unwilling, or whatever, um, to to kind of make that happen. The the seven or fifty k that that has been talked about. Um, I don't know any any thing to add to that. I mean, again, this is probably one of the um, least sexy uh, ongoing controversies in uh, kind of Bucks Twitter, Bucks Nation is the whether the you know the Bucks trade exception is real or ever existed or is is actually a thing. Um, but uh, at least we got. I appreciate you asking the question, um, even if the answer maybe is not was not terribly, uh, you know, uh, exciting or uh, or maybe I don't want to say explanatory, but it didn't maybe necessarily provide a lot of satisfaction as to why the Bucks couldn't couldn't ultimately keep that trade exception. But um, it was at least an answer, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that was I think that's a good way to sum it up. Like the the trade exception was created, and then they renounced it when they signed George Hill and. Um, you know, it sounded like it was something that they looked at, but ultimately, you know, weren't able to figure out how to move around that 720,000 or whatever it was. Um, and I, I think the way you said it, like, you know, getting the ducks in the row, like they just weren't able to do it. And ultimately the bucks don't have a trade exception. Like, I think that's probably as simple as it is, is, um, you know, is as much as people would want the opposite answer uh, there. But yeah, it doesn't exist. 
I think that's, I mean, at least for me, that's, that's a nice thing is that we actually do have a, a definitive answer that they do not have a trade exception. Uh, anything else from this, this piece that you thought was interesting, or I guess anything that, um, that didn't go into it that you can actually talk about, or, uh, I don't know, anything else you'd want to add? Um, you know, I, I think many of the things that we've said about Brooke Lopez, I thought John kind of hammered home just about like how integral he is to what they do both offensively and defensively. And I, I think he said something like, uh, you know, like outside of Giannis, no one shapes our identity more than Brooke. And that's paraphrased, but like, I, I just think like, it's, it's so incredibly true. And like, I think you can kind of see why, why they made him uh, a priority this off season was that like, they kind of, I shouldn't say kind of realize it. They do realize it. They do realize how important he is to everything that they do offensively and defensively. And they made him a priority because of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I don't think it was any, uh, you know, I think an obvious takeaway from this story is that Chris and Brooke were the, the, you know, the first, the the top two priorities for this team going into the off season. And, um, you know, again, like you can debate whether Malcolm should have been, um, more highly valued by the Bucks, and, and obviously, you know, as we've said, they could have kept Malcolm. It's not like, you know, they had to, to make some, some Sophie's choice here. Like they, they obviously chose to, to not bring Malcolm back for a combination of, you know, kind of financial long-term flexibility and, and obviously, um, what they were able to get for him. Those obviously all those reasons played into it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And again, I mean, talking about, guys who are easy to root for. I mean, that's, that's been obviously something that has been really fun about this Bucks team in general. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon was easy to root for. Obviously he was a good guy. Um, Brooke Lopez, super good dude. Just, you know, again, and obviously I'm, I'm, my opinions are obviously from kind of the outside, but um, just seems like the kind of guy you want in your locker room. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's really just a great story. I think that he was able to prove his worth in the way that he did. And obviously for him to get rewarded. I mean, still, like I said, I think at least from a, per year number certainly i'd say still probably one of the best values on the team <laughs> this side of Giannis. um yeah. but uh pretty fun to to have him back and um you know i think again like you have a season like the bucks just had you always the first thought is like, well how do you how do you keep this right like how do you not lose this how do you you know put this lightning in a bottle and um you know obviously it would have it would have really sucked if if brooke was here for a year did all the things that he did and then and then left to go someplace else. So really fun that uh, that he's back, and obviously, you know, bringing his brother with him is just going to add to uh, to the zaniness and the meme ability of uh, a team that was already really fun. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the other thing is just like, you know, I, I asked John the question, but you know, it it does still kind of, I think, in many ways, boggle the mind that if Chris plays out his entire contract, he'll play for the Bucks for ten years, and there's a. The weather, no matter how you feel about Chris Middleton, there's just not many people that have done that in Bucks history. Like, to to play for the team for ten years is just not a thing that we see many people do uh, in the modern day NBA. It's not a thing that we've seen many people do for this franchise. Um, and I, I just thought our you know kind of conversation about that was, or I guess our short discussion about that was just kind of interesting, just because like I I know people don't always want to talk about Chris Middleton and uh, plenty of people don't enjoy that Chris Middleton may be here for, for 10 years, but just the fact that it could happen is just, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, especially as a guy that was a throw in 
in in a trade between two bad point guards uh and that that's that's the guy you get and there's an outside chance at this point that he's here for 10 years like that that's just kind of crazy to think about yeah yeah it's pretty wild all right i don't know when we're gonna have news next um i don't know we'll have to start getting creative well you go do you what what do you so are you are you gonna go on a vacation here eric do you i mean you're it's not like you have like a wife and kids so it's not like you have to like go and and do any of that you can kind of just do your you know young cool person who well you were going to brewer you went to a brewers game with your dad right you it seems like you've been going to a lot of brewers yeah. games what, what are you gonna be doing spending your time here over the next month are you going anywhere are you doing anything it, interesting or it's you kind gonna of, be scraping for bucks news for us no it's kind of crazy like uh so since the season ended i always get the question like oh the season's over like what are you doing now and you know like i keep telling people like work like i'm still working like that that hasn't really ended yet but this week has for sure been like once I got back from Vegas, it, to me, it was just like, okay, this is officially summer. Like, I, I am now uh, on summer kind of vacation. Um, I have some weddings. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I think, maybe take a couple road trips here in the States. Uh, I'm going to go visit our good friend Kane Pittman in Australia. Whoa. Um, you, can't just, you can't just yada yada <laughs> trip to Australia. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. No, it'll, it'll be fun. Uh, also, Team USA happens to play during the time I'll be in Australia. So maybe because I'm an addict, I might do some work um, while I'm in Australia. And, you know, maybe two Milwaukee Bucks players could be on the roster for the team that goes to Australia. Uh, so that would be a lot of fun. Um, and as far as just be honest, you're just you're just looking for an excuse to back on, get back on the deli beat. That's really <laughs> yes. Uh, Kane and I will be fighting over that uh, during our time in Melbourne. Um, no, so that that should be interesting. Uh, maybe Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez will will happen to be on that roster. Um, Brooke Lopez's chance is actually kind of going up since Anthony Davis decided that he's not going to do Team USA uh, this summer. So I would have never guessed that. Brook Lopez could be on the roster. I still don't think that he will. I don't, but yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you'd want uh, it as a so, selfish Bucks fan, but as a Brook Lopez fan, of course, it'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of this this guy. We haven't had to deal with this, right? It's only really been Giannis where we think about this a lot. Like it was Andrew Bogut for like every off season in like the late you know two thousand aughts or whatever. Um, and now it's more Giannis. But yeah, it's kind of funny now with Chris and and Brook rising to prominence here that. Um, we actually need to like worry about the welfare of uh, of other players uh, potentially playing for for the U.S. of all of all countries actually having a, a player represent the U.S. again after a, yeah. a while without it. Yeah, and I mean, like I talked to Chris about it a little bit in Vegas, and I mean, eventually I'll probably write a story about like our conversation in Vegas. But uh, I mean, that's something that he he would obviously love to do, and I think it'd be you know kind of interesting that. You know, we so often just kind of think about Giannis in these situations, but, you know, to have Chris Middleton be one of 15 Americans that represents a country in, in that event, like it'd be pretty, it'd be pretty, it'd be pretty wild. Like, like that just isn't something that you think of, you know, the Bucks having uh, so often in the last couple of weeks, we've heard about all the duos and which duos are the best uh and conveniently every time uh chris middleton is never mentioned as a duo it's just oh Giannis and the bucks when it's like oh you know if you're gonna include like cj mccollum in these conversations like 
Chris Middleton isn't that far off. Well, Chris Middleton might even be better. I don't know. Yeah, I it mean, depends. It depends what you like. There, there are. There's a lot of uh, numerical evidence that Chris Middleton's been a better player, especially all around than than Chris than CJ McCollum the last couple of years. Um, the one that kills me most, I think the Ringer had one um, where it was like, you know, they had like a bunch of best, you know, best uh, combos or whatever, and they had. Kemba and Jason Tatum, and I was just like, <laughs> "Okay, I realize your founder is from Boston, but are you freaking kidding me? Kemba and Jason Tatum uh, over Giannis, and like, I don't know, like that's pretty rich. Anybody on the roster, like, I'll take Giannis and Thanasis over freaking Kemba and, and Jason Tatum. Come on." Um. Yeah. Well, let's just go. Th- I did not see well, that. That's hilarious. Wait. Let's just go through this exercise. Who? Who else is in the com? Is in the conversation? Who would you potentially? And again, we're not saying trade them under the bucks. But if you had to bet on like a duo to like whatever, you know, if you not if you didn't know anything else about their teammates and you had to bet on duos to, you know, let's say win a championship, right? Um, I guess the ones. The ones on my head that would be in the discussion would be Anthony Davis and LeBron, um, yep. uh, Paul George and Kawhi, yep. um, and I'm trying Curry to, and Thompson. Curry and Thompson, yeah. I mean Curry and I mean you could even pick Curry and Draymond, you know. And I I think yes. it's probably not that different. It, it's um, Curry is doing the heavy exactly lifting. exactly. It's kind of like Giannis and Chris, right? Um, yes. And then, um, I don't know. I mean, like, other than that, then you start, I feel like, am I missing anybody else obvious? Because I think, like, other than that, then you start getting to, like, kind of more flawed pairings. Like, I mean, Harden and Westbrook, like, I don't know what the hell that's going to look like. It could be a weird year for my household, given, you know, my wife is a Rockets fan, as some of you may have heard whispers of at some point. <laughs> um, but I don't know if Irving and Durant, I think, is flawed yeah, as well. and they're hurt. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to say with, with, KD probably out this season, but yeah, I mean, obviously at full health, those guys would definitely be in the conversation. But is there anybody anybody else that, that should be in there? I don't. I to me, no. Like I, I mean, like if you go through it, there's like Lillard and McCollum. I don't think either of them have the top level talent of Giannis, and I think McCollum being better than Middleton is debatable. Jokic and Murray, exact same thing. Like Murray's not consistent enough. Like for me to really kind of put him in that conversation and Jokic is, is great, but uh, not Giannis good and beating Simmons. I think we saw in the playoffs how flawed Simmons game can be uh, and Embiid obviously health concerns and just kind of shape concerns as well. Uh, Down and Mitchell and Mike Conley, like, no, Neither those guys are good enough. I mean, you have to, you have to have like at least one all-star berth between the two of you to be in the Giannis Middleton discussion, right? I mean, so far neither of those guys have even done that. So yeah, yeah, Oladipo and Turner, no, no. Wall and Beal, no, no. Lowry and Siakam, mm, uh, right no, um, Walker and whoever you want from the Celtics, no, uh, Walker and Daniel Tice. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, I mean, Doncic and Porzingis is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's like a, you uh, know, for, five, not, for a couple of years from now, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, after that, I think, like, a, one, Giannis and Middleton are better than all of those. Uh, but, like, that's, I don't know. It's just been funny. It's just like, oh, look at the NBA, all these great duos in Giannis and the Bucks. And it's like, no. 
Like they have like a, a leg- as much as people don't want to think it's a legit number two. Like they have a legit number two, so like they, they can be a duo. That's that's totally fine. All right, that's it for us for this week. Presumably, uh, I guess we'll I would think so. Well, maybe we do a mailbag or something. We we haven't done a mailbag in a little bit, right? Maybe we do a mailbag. I feel like we gotta week. we gotta like do like a rankings exercise of some. Uh, I don't even I don't even know what's like interesting. Ugh. I I understand. I'm not a big prep guy either, uh, but I feel like there's. There's got to be something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, ranking the roster 1 to 15, something like that. I don't know. We'll, okay. we'll think through it. We'll figure it out. Uh, and we'll do all of that next week. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name, the Spin Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you next week.